This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 7.36 a.m. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokdar with Keith Kam and Chong Jensen. Now in half an hour, as we always do, we have the Breakfast Grill. Who's in the hot seat today, Keith? Yeah, so it's Callum Chen. He's the CEO of LH Plus Indiran Burhat. Uh, this is a company that was founded in 1947. It is the second oldest plastic products manufacturer in Malaysia. Produces for companies like Tupperware, Rubbermaid and Mattel. But with rising ESG demands and cost pressures, Wong Xiaoning is going to find out how how is this company handling these challenges? All right, stay tuned for that conversation after the 8 a.m. news bulletin. We're turning our attention now, though, to news, media and journalism, which has come under the spotlight this past week, both in and out of Parliament. On Monday, RO MP Datuk Sri Shahidan Kasim drew attention to the practice of reporting based on unnamed sources and called for this to be banned. This has received pushback from media practitioners who emphasised the importance of protecting the identity of sources, the Minister of Communication and Digital reassured that there will be no such restrictions on the media to safeguard their sources. Separately yesterday, Awesome TV is being investigated by the MCMC for a misleading news report on culling of jobs in the civil service. Fami Fazil is reportedly meeting with the Awesome TV management on this. Awesome TV has so far denied wrongdoings and said its report had been manipulated by others. All this relates to the debate on ethical and responsible reporting and Fami Fazil has said that his Ministry is planning to amend the Communications and Multimedia Act 1998. So are stricter laws the way forward to ensure ethical journalism? Or is there another option in plain sight worth implementing? For more discussion on this, we speak to Dr. Benjamin Lowe, Senior Lecturer at the School of Media and Communication of Taylor's University. Ben, good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, this may seem like a really obvious question, but let's start off with just getting you to briefly define for us what is ethical journalism, and how closely are these principles adhered to within the Malaysian media context? All right, good morning. Thank you for having me. So, uh, ethical media journal, uh, ethical journalism is something that is not quite clear cut, you know. Unlike other, uh, professional jobs where there's often a very clear sense of what is sort of like acceptable standards and, uh, code of conduct, journalism is often done through what is known as a code of, uh, ethical code of conduct. So different journalists often, uh, operate under different, uh, pretexts depending on the context of their local situation. So depending on the local laws and the local practices that are present. So, uh, ethical journalism at the core of it should focus on ensuring that whatever uh, news is being presented is going to be factual, it's going to be objective, it's going to be done in a way that is going to be respectful for uh, the public and fundamentally a lot of the information that is being presented is going to serve the public interest. So if all of these sort of like uh, values are met, that's how you sort of define this as ethical journalism. So Ben, uh, ROMP Dato Shaidan Kasim did call for source stories in the, in the media to be banned. What are the public interest arguments in favour of allowing journalists to protect their, their sources. I mean, is this something that's like really, really a, a, a concern? Uh, yes, you know, this is a very, one of the cornerstones of good journalism that in a lot of situations, you will have... Uh, uh, sort of like certain contexts where certain people will have access to information and they do want to sort of like uh, present this information for journalists to present to the public. Again, these are often uh, qualified in the sense that they should only apply to issues that relate to uh, public interest stories. So for instance, if there's a company that deals with certain things that the public has a right to know. Now, the use of such sources, of course, is considered to be uh, quite uh, questionable at times because uh, for the most part, you uh, because the journalist is not compelled to reveal who these sources are, 
are, it's very difficult to determine whether these sources are accurate or not. Now, there are certain countries in the world that do offer uh, unconditional uh, protections for journalists to not have to ever reveal their sources. And some other countries do sort of like... Um, put it in a qualified sense. Whereby if you can prove that there is a public interest argument, then they can be used uh, with no issue. There is no compel, um, as in journalists don't have to be compelled to reveal their sources. Mm -hmm. Now, the common argument with how sources should be used is that, number one, sources should not be used on their own. Because fundamentally, if you're using a source on your own, then it's very, very difficult for anybody to challenge these things because uh, you won't have any other details. And again, it is important to protect them because without this sort of like guarantee of confidentiality, many of these sources will not not uh, share this information. So often, journalists, I mean, uh, at good ethical journalism should rely on the use of sources combined with other sources of information to provide a more comprehensive story and a way to corroborate information in this manner as well. So that's supposed to be the main practice. But Ben, uh, just to play a devil's advocate here, uh, journalists will decide on whether or not a particular source is reliable, right? I mean, uh, who are they to judge? Uh, yes, see, that's that's why the important reason is that sources should not be used as the entirety of uh, the the foundation of an entire article. It should be combined together with other sources of information so that readers can get a sense that, yes, this is going to be uh, information that uh, this is considered to be news that comes from multiple different sources. And therefore, you can sort of like uh, have a good uh, get, uh, sort of like... Um, a trust that this is going to be accurate information. Uh, news articles that only rely on unnamed sources on its own, that's when things get a little bit problematic. Now, again, this is something that varies by, diff by country, and again, it also varies on a case-by-case -case basis, because sometimes certain situations do make it impossible to get all the other information, and so it really does depend on the credibility and the sort of like the trustworthiness of both the journalists and the media outlet to ensure that they are going to be ethical in the way that they use these sources. And Ben, how would an independent media council strengthen ethical journalism standards in Malaysia? Why would a self-regulatory framework be more effective than imposing specific legislation? Okay, so uh, this is a common question. And again, I think for a lot of people, I think if you grow up in the Malaysian context, you notice that a lot of our media are heavily regulated by government laws as well. And the problem, of course, is that when you have uh, heavy media regulation that comes from the government or executed by the government, there is always going to be the potential for overreach, whereby if the government decides that a certain kind of media uh, news that challenges its own narratives, that is when uh, regulation, uh, sort of like the government, legal frameworks can be used to sort of like um, quell press freedom as a result of that. So if you have a sort of like independent, uh, sort of like self-regulating body like a media council, the idea here is that the media themselves will regulate to determine whether something is, is sort of like accurate or not, whether there were any breaches in ethical conduct. And that is seen as the best practice to ensure that there is no uh, sort of like interference from the government and to ensure that the media can still operate and still adhere to sort of like strong media standards as well. So we do know, um, Ben, that the previous communications minister, uh, Gobin Singh Dio, did kickstart um, efforts to set up a media council. I mean, in that case, we don't really have to reinvent the wheel if the work has already begun. What do you think needs to be prioritized if the government is serious in implementing this proposal? Well, I think one thing that is very concerning for me is that the, the proposal that was uh, started under uh, sort of like Gobind Singh's administration, uh, sort of like tenure, was that there actually is a completed uh, proposal that's already sort of like been prepared and was originally submitted to the uh, to that ministry, I believe it was last year or like early last year or 
yeah, early last year, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And that proposal probably needs a little bit more work, but there is a proposal that has been greatly deliberated on. It was worked on by the Pro-Tem Committee for about two years, basically. And uh, I think at this point, it's quite concerning that the current minister hasn't really sort of like even acknowledged that that proposal is ready for it, for it to be implemented. Like, And, and I've already some mentioned that, you know, his, his team is going to at least... Uh, take a look at the proposal and then see where they're going to go with it as well. Instead of these sort of like very broad generalizations about reforms. But again, this is something that's already there. Uh, it's been greatly researched and it would be, I mean, I'm not, I don't think it's a bit unrealistic unre- to expect him to implement it blindly, but there is something that he can work with as well. And as you mentioned, it, it, he doesn't have to reinvent the wheel here. So there is consensus that the Communications and Multimedia Act should be amended for being too broad or too vague. What changes would you suggest to improve regulatory oversight on online content without unduly restricting freedom of uh, press? Oh, uh, I guess this is. I mean, I'm not a. I'm not a legal sort of like media scholar, so I think uh, I can only answer this in a very broad, aspirational sense. For me, I think it's just about sort of like upgrading it to ensure that it can. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't limit um, sort of like the way that people want to express themselves online. And I think there needs to be more clear definition about how um, each of these things can be regulated, especially with regards to political content and also hate speech, because that one is often very, very vaguely presented. Mm. And um, in the little bit of time that we have, Ben, uh, we do know that the rise of digital media has amplified the problem of false information being spread. Um, How do you think fact-check mechanisms um, can be improved in our society, both at the government and at at the societal level, to prevent the spread of, of fake news? For me, I believe at this point now is that the way that the government sees it, or rather, this is something that our government has held for a very long time, you know, the the idea here is that the government is the only one that can do fact-checking. So, uh, I mean, this has resulted in the government producing uh, sort of like fact-checking initiatives like Sibernania Mai and things like that, which are great, but again, that still presents a very government side view of things. And in the more independent side, we do have certain fact-checking initiatives that are doing a lot of uh, very, very important things, but there is often a lack of engagement with our media, you know, more often than not, our media outlets, even though they are expected to do their own fact-checking, there is a lack of integration between them and these independent fact-checking services, which would be a great way to sort of like normalize the act of uh, checking up information and also to uh, make it so that readers can sort of like uh, use this as a way to sort of check information on your own as well. Ben, thank you very much for speaking with us. That was Dr. Benjamin Lowe, Senior Lecturer at the School of Media and Communication of Taylor's University, giving us his thoughts on why an independent media council should be set up by the government and also um, helping to us to understand what exactly is ethical journalism and the kinds of standards uh, that uh, news media are supposed to follow when they are reporting. So you no need to reinvent the wheel, right? I, 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 was, at the, I was at that roundtable when uh, Gobin Singh um, mooted the idea of the media council and yeah I, I was actually quite um, encouraged by the fact that a lot of media practitioners were, were there giving their, their feedback and um, I think a couple of days ago, the minister did say that uh, they are reviewing the proposal for the Media Council. We hope to see some action on this sooner rather than later. Something we'll be keeping an eye on uh, very closely for sure. 7.47 a.m. We're going to head into some messages. But when we come back, we will ask the SME industry, the SME sector, what they want to see from Budget 2023. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.